listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, Mark 1, and ushers are coming forward with Bibles. They have a copy of God's Word, and if you don't have your own copy of God's Word or forgot it at home and you want to follow along, in fact, we encourage people, follow along in your Bibles with us. We love the Word of God. We love studying the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, proclaiming the Word of God, living the Word of God, and the best way that we can encourage that is to have a copy of God's Word and to read it and to follow it in Sunday mornings, but then throughout our our week and take God's word and we believe there's mighty power in God's word because they are words that he spoke and when God spoke things happen amen you see that in the book of Genesis you see it even today that when God's word is proclaimed life happens he works in and among his people and so this morning Mark chapter 1 we're in this new sermon series called this is us as we dig into certain practices and traditions and convictions that we have as followers of Christ and especially related to us here at Hope Bible Church and you see we need to revisit some of these things from time to time but because what can happen over a period of time is is we can lose some of the significance or some of the why to the what. We lose the why do we do this and, 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 and to the things that we end up doing, causing us to drift in its understanding and its importance, and it just becomes like a religious exercise, and we don't want to be about religion. It's about a relationship, and we need to see these practices and these things that we've been talking about last week, talk about this week and the weeks to come, to be a part of our lives because it's life-giving, it's life-altering, it's life-changing truths and realities, and we just don't want it to become religious to us and, and become something empty that we just become very routine in. And, and as we do these things, as this message series is based out of 1 Peter 2, 9, that these are ways that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. These are ways we can proclaim Jesus Christ. And last week we started this off, and this week we're going to continue about talking about two practices, two commands or ordinances that we are to follow as God's people. These are instructions for the church. It was instructions for the church in the book of Acts. It's instructions for the church for us today. And so today we want to reaffirm and recapture the importance of these things that we are doing. And, and last week we talked about the Lord's Supper. This week we want to talk about believer baptism. The word baptism, just in case you want to know what it means in Greek, it means, it comes from the word baptizo, which means to immerse, to cover, to encapsulate. All right, and so believer baptism has rich biblical meaning, significance. It can be a very emotional time for those getting baptized, but it should be an emotional time for everyone witnessing a baptism as we're going to see here in the moments ahead for us this morning. And, and here is a picture of just some of the baptisms that we've had here at our church over the last number of years. And, and, and we're planning, preparing for our next baptismal service on September 8th as our kickoff Sunday. We'll have a special time at Gyro Beach Park. All of these took place at Gyro and, and uh, we're looking forward to our next baptismal service and the next number of baptismal services. Amen? Because that's a sign that God's at work and that there's new life and new obedience and people saying, I want to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow him and I want to be obedient to him in the waters of baptism. And so we get excited about these kind of things. They're the best time in church and, uh, and, and for the body of Christ as we 
We get to celebrate uh, something that has taken place on the inside of a person's heart. Now, it seems like in sports these days, um, there's, there's a lot of attention that is given now to video review. And some people love it, some people hate it. And they're not very excited about video review when it comes to, you know, reviewing certain plays for its accuracy's sake or perhaps to reverse a call or a decision that was made. Well, this week we decided we should probably do some video review of some of our baptisms and just make sure that they took, that they were accurate. And, um, and so upon video review, you'll see that um, Tim Anderson wasn't fully immersed. And uh, you see he kept one foot out. And so, September 8th, Tim, it's got to be a full immersion. So, no, I'm just kidding. We're not that legalistic, okay? So, uh, I just kind of thought we'd have some fun with that as I was reviewing an old video on that. And uh, just thought you might be slightly entertained with that. But they are the best days. They are the great days in the life of the church. And so, baptism services are I- I- excitement. And, and, and there's a lot of laughter. And there's community. And family comes. And, and, and being able to do it in a lake like we do here in, in Kelowna, in the Okanagan, it, becomes a very public demonstration to, to see people who, are, who don't go to church, who wander by and wonder what in the world is going on when all of a sudden there's a crowd of people on the shore and then yelling out glory to God and, and cheering with excitement because this is a great victory. Their baptism has great meaning, significance, and depth to it um, at times so much more than even the water that we can baptize in. So this morning we want to be talking about baptism and, and here's kind of the key line here, we proclaim Christ in baptism. We proclaim Christ in baptism. And this is something that God's word commands every believer to do. He commands every believer to be baptized. We see that in the word of God. And and this is something that every believer is to experience initially in their own lives and then to celebrate continually. Every time you think, every time you hear, every time you see, witness, hear that someone gets baptized, it should cause you to celebrate not only what God has done in your life if you've already been baptized, but celebrate what God is doing in that life and celebrate the transformation of, all, uh, of a person's life from the inside out. Now, there can be a lot of confusion and and a lot of debate and and conversation in regards to baptism. And in this room, you will have people who hold various meanings and have been brought up in certain traditions and and perhaps have been baptized as infants or as as young children kind of thing. And and so you're going to have different meanings depending on your background, your family, your heritage, the denomination you grew up in. And basically, if we were to do just a quick sweep over this, we would see that there's basically three general forms or views when it comes to baptism. And, and, and there's the belief that baptism, one of them, is that it imparts salvation. And, and oftentimes, this is an infant baptism. Sometimes it's even an adult, uh, adults who, who will believe this. But for an infant baptism, uh, those who believe in th- that baptism actually imparts salvation would be churches like the Roman Catholic Church or, and, and some Lutheran churches believe that baptism, the act of baptizing a baby saves and, and confirms that that baby will one day be in heaven. And it is, is salvation, causing salvation and regeneration. Ro- Roman Catholics believe that baptism removes original sin. And so parents are strongly encouraged to baptize their infants in the Roman um, Catholic Church. Years ago when we were pastoring a church in Alberta, there was a tragic accident on an acreage and a young, young child was killed in an in, in a accident on their property. We had volunteer firefighters in our church, first responders who responded to this tragedy, and uh, rightly so, just shook them up 
in, in witnessing and, and being there as um, this little one, it was already way too late. And then they were instructed not to touch the body, to leave the body. The parents were frantic and they called the priest. They said, we've been bad Catholics. We have not baptized our child. We're scared our child is going to go to hell. We need to get the priest here and baptize our baby. And just the outpouring of grief for the family, but the first responders, it was a frantic and a very shaking scene. And, 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 and we can rejoice because the Bible clearly points that when an infant, a young child dies, they go straight to the arms of Jesus. We have that truth and that reality in the word of God. And, and here these poor parents being misinformed and thinking that because their child wasn't baptized that their child would not go to heaven. God's word just simply does not teach that. Nowhere in God's word do we see that baptism removes sin or that it saves a person. The Bible clearly points um, to, the, to the fact that, that this is, is a symbol and a picture of the gospel message. It does not impart salvation at all. God's word is clear that no works in Ephesians 2, that no one is saved by any kind of work. It is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so that is, uh, we do not believe this here at our church. And then another uh, second form or view of baptism is that infant baptism can be a mark or a sign of the new covenant. And, and, and this is a practice often again with infants and seen in Presbyterian or certain reformed churches. And they will baptize their infants and they do not believe this is not a water ceremony of washing away sins. They don't believe that, that, um, that, that um, they don't hold to. It does not impart salvation for that in infant, but instead, this is, this is the belief. They understand that infant baptism and baptizing their infant child, their young child, is a sign of the new covenant uh, that has taken place, and it is the new covenant equivalent to circumcision that you see in the old covenant with the Hebrew people. And, and, and God's people, the Hebrews, well, there would be the circumcision that would take place for baby boys that would take place in the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants. And so in that way, that circumcision joins them to the new covenant of salvation and, and, or, or to the old covenant, and they are part of the family of God. And so these churches, these traditions believe that a baptism joins a person to the new covenant of salvation through Jesus Christ. And this can be a very deep and a very meaningful tradition and practice. And, um, and, and, and there's been a lot of years of history in this. However, we do not practice that. And, and we don't see this. And the reason we don't is because we don't see it practiced or commanded in the Bible. Jesus was not baptized as an infant. He wasn't taken to the temple and baptized as an infant by Mary and Joseph or by Simeon, one of the great leaders there in the temple. He was baptized at the age of 30. Nor do we see this practice happen in the early church. It's not practiced or it's commanded. And so we here at Hope Bible Church do not uh, follow that tradition. What we do see in the New Testament and then continued through church history is that we see that followers of Christ, and this is what we adhere to, this is what we hold on to, this is what we encourage, this is what we preach in believer baptism. And we believe here at Hope that we believe that believer baptism is to be the experience of every follower of Jesus Christ who has received Jesus Christ by faith who has believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross based on the merit of Jesus Christ, not our own merit, not our own doing, his good work on our behalf, not our good works. And so we affirm that believer baptism is an act of obedience based on one's confession of faith in Jesus Christ. And we see believer baptism clearly practiced, commanded in Scripture, 
and practiced throughout the New Testament church and all through church history. And I trust that today as we work through this, that, that as we work through this passage today in Mark chapter 1, that prayerfully yet obediently, many of you will respond if you have not yet been baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have not been uh, baptized as a believer, that you would follow through in that. And you would take the next steps. And if you're part of this church, we would love to see that quite possibly happen on September 8th. We have a process in that. You can talk to myself. You can talk um, to, to Brett and, uh, or to Chrissy or to one of the elders. And we would love to be able to meet with you and set up some appointments to talk further about that. And so this morning, uh, we, we trust that um, if you've been baptized as a believer, you might think, oh, good, they're talking about baptism. Eon, I was baptized when I was 15 or when I was 20 or whenever it was that you were baptized. I can just kind of sit back in the seat and, and relax. No, 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 because we don't believe that to be uh, uh, something we ought to be doing. Yes, we believe that baptism should be experienced by everyone, but then it also needs to be celebrated um, on, in our lives uh, continually as, as we see this taking place. And so I trust that as we study God's word this morning, we just wouldn't go through this as a teaching exercise, but that we can enter into the context of what was taking place here and see the heart of the people who are responding in obedience uh, and faith. And so we're going to read in Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 4, as we read about the baptism of Jesus. And so it says here, you can follow along in your Bibles, Mark chapter 1, verse 4. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judah and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have, been, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so here we have John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, who's six months older than Jesus, is, has begun his ministry, and Jesus' ministry has not yet begun. And he's preaching out in the wilderness by the Jordan River, and he's heralding, he's preaching a very simple message. His simple message that he is preaching, that he is heralding is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this sort of a heralder or a messenger in this way was, was relatively common in those days. You see, when a king was going to travel in his kingdom, ahead of him would be an entourage of heralders, of proclaimers, who would go some days in advance and call out to the people and let them know, the king is coming, the king is coming, prepare yourself, the king is coming. Clean things up. Get things in order because the king is coming. He's coming down this road. He's going to go down these streets. And so all kinds of physical preparations would take place when a king would come into the country. The same sort of thing even happens today. When there, uh, I remember as a kid growing up, there was um, going to be a royal visit. And I, I remember as a young kid going and seeing the queen in, in, on the streets of Regina and the queen city. And, 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 and I remember just that street being so spotless. And I remember hearing about how the great expense 
expense they took because wherever the queen was going to be, they cleaned up the streets, the litter, the homeless people, whatever. They just tried to make it as good and as beautiful as they could for the queen. Well, this is what, what would happen in these days when the king would come. And so they would straighten out roads. They would take out the potholes. They would deal with everything because the king was coming. So, he, so they would prepare, make these physical preparations for a physical king, but now John the Baptist is calling out to the people to prepare spiritually for the Messiah, to do that inner work in your life because the prophet Isaiah had, had prophesied that Messiah would come hundreds of years earlier. And we actually read about what took place, what Isaiah had said in, in verse 1. You can look at your Bibles in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And so here is John doing this, out in the wilderness, proclaiming this simple message, prepare, repent, get your hearts right. The King, the Messiah is coming. And so John the Baptist was the fulfillment of this prophecy. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He was calling people, repent, turn from your sins, straighten up your lives. Messiah is coming. The long awaited, you've been waiting, your people, the people have been waiting for centuries and now it is coming. Messiah is soon going to appear. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Folks, we are also waiting what? For the second return of Jesus Christ, aren't we? We're awaiting his return. And I can tell you, I believe that in so many ways we are living in the last days. Prepare, get ready, examine your heart. And so this is more than just a message about baptism. It is about a message of the preparation of God's people. Are you ready for the king? Are you ready to meet God face to face? My wife, Charlotte, started working at a funeral home uh, just in, in the la- less than um, probably last nine, ten months, and, and true confession, and, and maybe it's good, maybe it's not, ever since then, I um, continue to scour the um, obituaries on Castanet. I just go to the obituaries, and, and for whatever reason, it just seems I'm a little more infatuated with death these days. And you may say, that's because you're getting old. That's what old people do. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, uh, you get up in the morning, you look, oh, I'm not there. Let's keep going. You know, and uh, I mean, you could, could look at it that way. But the thing that I'm gripped with is how young people are dying all around us. How young. And those obituaries don't account for suicides oftentimes. And they don't account for the homeless that are dying because oftentimes they're not, there's not obituaries written up about them. But the coolers are filling up in funeral homes around here. People are dying. And we think we're going to live forever. Jesus could return it. Are we living with an expectancy that our lives could be over at just any moment or that Jesus Christ could return? Are we ready? Are we living with repentive, responsive hearts? And this is what the people were doing. As John was calling this message, he was calling the people to prepare, to repent, to get ready for the king. They didn't even know what it was going to exactly look like, but their hearts were hungry. They were eager. John was getting ready to, to getting them ready to one day receive Christ. He's getting them ready for the Messiah. Now, baptism in these days, what John was doing, wasn't necessarily a new thing, um, but it wasn't for a lot of God's people, it would seem, because it was, uh, there was a lot of water ceremony, ceremonies that involved water in the Old Testament, 
But in those days, when a non-Jew would convert to Judaism, they would go through a number of ceremonies in order for that to happen. And one, if you were a male, you would be circumcised, and then you would be baptized publicly in the water. And also for a female, she would then also be baptized, similar to what we're seeing here. So, so this whole baptism going underwater, John the Baptist didn't invent baptism. It already had been taking place. But it was a way that they could declare, and in very many ways, it is a way that we declare still today. It's the ultimate picture of an outsider declaring their intentions and their desire to be an insider. These people were, were desperate, saying, we want, we're hungry for God. As we are baptized as believers in Christ, we are saying, hey, that change has already taken place. I once was an outsider. I am now an insider. You used to be outside the covenant by birth and by your behavior back in the Old Testament ways and, and when they converted over, but you've had a heart change. You've had a change in life, a change of direction. And so baptism was a way that you could publicly declare your decision to be a follower of the God of the Israelites. And so we have here John the Baptist, a simple man, a simple man. He wasn't much to look at, or maybe he actually was much to look at. I mean, you see the description given here in God's word, clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt. Sounds kind of simple and itchy, especially that camel's hair. I don't know exactly what that would have been like. And it's believed, I mean, any pictures you have of him that he had a big beard and wild hair. And um, by today's standard, he could have easily been a hipster, I guess. Because, I mean, except not with the man bun, because those just aren't cool. But, um, you know, or that's my opinion. Sorry if you are a man bun wearer or liker. But anyways, I mean, here is John the Baptist, a simple guy. And, and what did his diet consist of? Locusts and wild honey. So, I mean, he's super trendy now. He's living on a low-carb, gluten-free, high-protein diet, you know. And so, uh, and for his sweet tooth, you know, or to help those locusts slide down a little bit better, he used, you know, some wild, organic uh, honey to, uh, to help it slide down, you know, to help that sweet tooth. And now, apparently, locusts are making a bit of a comeback. And, and uh, in some countries, they're, they're a thing. But apparently, we're, we're hearing more and more, get ready to get rid of the farm animals kind of meat and get ready for this kind of protein that insect farms are becoming quite the thing. And, and, and then I came across this picture. I just had to share it with you. I mean, this is just a protein slider, isn't it? You know, like I can agree with that nice hard-boiled egg or soft-boiled egg, but I don't know, that, that other little piece of protein. And, not so good. Anyways, his diet and clothing were, were, weren't trendy for the day. Might be trendy today, but not in, in that day. And, and he spoke a simple message, a very simple message. It's what his life consisted of, simplicity in his living, simplicity in his message. And what was happening, people are coming out to him by the hundreds, if not thousands. It says, and all the country of Judea and Jerusalem we're coming out to see him, to be baptized. Basically, what Mark, the, the author of this gospel, is saying, that's a lot of people. People were coming, they were lining up. In Matthew's gospel, we see even the religious leaders were coming and watching and observing what was going on. People aren't filling up the temples anymore. No, they're traveling 20 to 30 miles to go to the Jordan River, to the wilderness. There's no food trucks out there. There's no place to eat. There's no hotels. There's no place to bunk down. But they were desperate. They were hungry. They were eager for God. Do we have a hunger and an eagerness for God? There is this 
desperation, that they were living in desperate times, and they were willing to do whatever it took. You know, I think at times, I think that our lives, our pursuits, our churches, our worship, and all that our lives, our church, our worship is all that it's become, it can so easily stray so far away from the simplicity and the plain and simple, life-changing gospel message. We get so consumed with stuff, don't we? We get consumed with houses and cars and money and retirements and boats and vacations and clothes and sports and hobbies and our social media profiles and food and beverages that we consume. We just become so consumed and so inundated with all of these different things. And, and we can easily become so fashioned by the things of this world. And, 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 and it's a replacement in so many ways for the gospel, for the simplicity of the gospel. We follow and we seek after celebrity pastors for emotional experiences in church rather than a true encounter with the living God. You see, God's people encounter him when they're sick and tired of being sick and tired and just sick and tired of going through the motion, sick and tired of the pursuit and say, God, I want you. I want you more than anything. We don't have time to spend in God's word or we, we, we don't have time to, to serve God, to commit to you know, any sort of service of him because we're so busy with our own pursuits, our own little life, our own little circle. We don't have time to commit to group life where we can walk in accountability and teaching and, and in, in growth with other believers. We're, we're too busy, but we have time for our fun stuff and for our resources um, to build our resources or for our own interests and our own wants. And we can devote time like crazy to physical fitness, but what about our spiritual fitness and our spiritual growth? So much on the temporal and so much on the spiritual and on the eternal, what's going to last, even in church. Even can easily be in our church. We, we, we say we desire to do things with simplicity, clarity, and urgency. And yet, so much planning and preparation, we can, in, in the church today of Jesus Christ, we work so hard to try to track people to church. You need a nice facility. You need all the nice amenities, or I mean, ministries, um, you know, that will meet my needs and my family. Just heard, I won't go there. We need to have excellence, you know, in worship in order to track people. Got to sing on cue. Love that we had some mess-ups today. Love that you're going to have some mess-ups in the sermon today. Because we're far from perfect, and we don't want to give that impression, that image. This is an okay place to, to not be okay. This is an okay place to make mistakes. We want to pursue excellence. We want to pursue godliness, but not at the expense of our pride and our ego in God. Uh, he finds great ways to humble us, doesn't he? You know... Even when it comes to churches and what we're looking for, we're looking for sermons that are smart and witty and deep, but light. You know, we don't want too much conviction. You know, challenging and, you know, uh, you, know you know what one of my prayers is, is that when you leave here on a Sunday or you leave after a, a time in God's word with other believers, that times you're going to leave ticked. You're going to leave a little upset. You're going to leave a little angry. You're going to leave a little disturbed. Because what you've heard proclaimed, I trust in truth from the word of God, is going to upset you. It's going to cause you to examine your life. It's going to cause you ultimately to repent 
and to grab some courage and follow in obedience and, and do what God's word and by his spirit is convicting you about doing. I don't just want you leaving here happy. I want you to leave happy in Jesus, but not always happy in the condition we're in and knowing that, hey, our lives are to be one where we are seeking him to grow us and change us, not just come along and pat you on the back and say, good boy, good girl, you know, good job, keep going. But when we're on a dangerous path, a self-centered path, a sinful path, that God's word would, and his spirit and his people would remind us and convict us and wake us up and say, come on. Let's get going. I trust that as you leave today, as you leave any Sunday, as you leave any time of study, that you felt you've been biblically challenged and that you need to respond in areas of obedience in your life. Because that leads to joy, not just to happy, 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 but to true joy, a joy in, in the Lord. And so here we see on the banks of the Jordan River, if you could just kind of get a feel of it just this week, just in studying this, it was just like, oh, I just, the air would have just been kind of thick and heavy. You know, we've had some hot, dry days lately, and, and then all of a sudden when the weather changed towards the end of the week and there was some humidity in the air, the air was thick and heavy. That's what I imagine just around the Jordan River, just, just the intensity of the people and the crowd that was there, just an, an intense situation of just kind of a heaviness and an excitement and yet a, a longing and and John preaching a simple a simple man with a simple message on a simple location saying repent repent turn from your sins turn from your religion turn from your opinions and turn to God you see repentance today can be seen as such a dirty word in fact in some churches they don't use the word repentance and I have it on good authority and good knowledge that pastors at times have been silenced and hushed and not to preach about repentance because it makes people uncomfortable. But in reality, repentance is a beautiful thing. When a person is sick of their sin, sick of their empty worldly pursuits, because any worldly pursuit, though it may last and have fun for a while, you put your head on the pillow at night... And you're still empty and you think there must be more. It must be around the next corner and around the next pursuit. And it's not. It won't be there. But when a person is sick and tired of being sick and tired, sick of their sins, repentance is a privilege because repentance is saying, uncle, I'm done. I surrender. God, I don't want to go this way anymore. I want to go your way. And repentance is something that happens initially in order for us to receive Christ and in order for Christ to come into our lives. And it is to happen continually. Our lives are to be of repentance. When we are done with our ways, our sin, and desperate and eager to turn to God, and we'll embrace an attitude of, I'll do whatever it takes, God, to be right with you. When we come to the end of ourselves, you know what that's, you know what that's called? When, it's, when, when a sinner turns to God in that way, that's, salvation takes place. Jesus is not simply their Savior, but it's Lord. It's Lord, he, he, I'll follow you. I'll do what you call me to do. When a believer does that, that's revival. And how desperately we need that today within our lives, but we become so satisfied with lesser things. And that was the heart of what's going on here on the shores of the Jordan River. People are coming by the hundreds and the thousands. They're coming out to the wilderness with a heart and a desire to be done with sin, to be ready for the Messiah, for when he's going to come. 
Everything would change when Messiah would come. And so they were declaring that decision that they'd already made in their heart in saying, I repent, I turn from my sin, and I turn to God. Today I trust there's a hunger, there's a desire, even if it's just slight, that that would be enough of a slight open door in your life for God this week to keep opening it and that desperation and that sick and tired of being sick and tired would continue to grow in your life. Wanting more of him, less of this world. We've become so fashioned after the things of this world that so oftentimes there's no difference in our lives and our living. We are called to, be, to live differently, to pursue differently, to love unconditionally. Repentance is not what just simply starts the Christian life. It is the Christian life. And this is the context that we see. And now let's read in verse 9 because we see all of a sudden Jesus comes on the scene. So this is the heaviness. This is the excitement. This is the no turning back. I'm repenting. I'm following God. Repenting of my sins. And now Jesus comes on the scene. Love this. Verse 9. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I mean, what a scene. Jesus travels like 60 miles. Like he, he, he walks on foot 60 miles from Nazareth to the Jordan River, standing in this long lineup of people. I mean, could you imagine how that possibly went down? You know, Jesus standing in line, you know, as, you know and, and he's in line, and let's say the guy in front of him, his name is Luke, you know, and, uh, you know, he's like, hey, what's your name? He's like, my name's Jesus. Kind of a common name. What's your name? Luke. Oh, okay. Luke, what do you do in, in life? Oh, I'm a doctor. Oh, that's cool. Nice to meet you, Luke. And, you know, and, and like, oh, Jesus, uh, who are you? And he says, well, I'm, you know, I, I'm from Nazareth. I'm from, you know, from, um, from, from the Nazareth. Re really? Nazareth? Okay, cool. Wonderful. And, and, and they talk, you know, a little more small talk about the weather and, and they're watching the baptisms going on and then all of a sudden Jesus goes into the water and there's this little exchange between Jesus and John the Baptist because John the Baptist, as we read in, in Matthew's account, is like, whoa, 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 I, I, I should not be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. Because John the Baptist knew who Jesus was, didn't he? Not only by family, but also what God had planned for him. He was the one he was declaring was coming. And all of a sudden, what a scene that would have been and how that would have rippled through the crowds, perhaps hundreds that day. We don't know exactly how many were around there that day. And to hear this voice from heaven and to realize something was going on. And we hear, we see John's humility. I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Plus, it's a little weird, isn't it, that Jesus is getting baptized? This is a baptism of repentance. Jesus never sinned, so why is he getting baptized? It seems a little strange. Why is he getting baptized? I mean, is it because he did sin? No, no, not at all. God's word is very clear. Jesus did not sin. But Jesus tells John in Matthew's account, he tells him that I am doing this to fulfill so that all righteousness could be fulfilled. These people were being baptized demonstrating a hunger for righteousness to be right with God. Jesus comes into the water and he is baptizing, showing his commitment to provide that righteousness, whatever the cost. And for Jesus, the cost of that righteousness that he would provide would cost him what? His life 
on the cross, cruel beatings, crown of thorns, spear in the side, dead. Jesus' baptism would give them a picture of what would physically actually take place three and a half years later as he would fulfill all righteousness on the cross, where the righteous would die for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And so this scene played out in the Jordan River was just a foreshadowing of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it is with a heart of repentance, of love, of surrender, and act of worship that we come to be baptized today. And see, folks, we proclaim Jesus Christ through baptism today. And here's why. Because we see that Jesus was baptized, but, but we see, it, see that it's so important is that and the three reasons why is it demonstrates our obedience to Christ. You may want to write these, these points down because this is what will make the bulk of our message as we work through this here this morning. We proclaim Jesus through baptism because it demonstrates our obedience. Plain and simple, Jesus set the example for his followers as he identified with sinners and was baptized. And then he also commanded his followers to be baptized. Look at the verse here in Matthew 28. I mean, this is, this is our anchor verse for the church of Jesus Christ. This is an anchor verse for our church here in this city, for the Great Commission Collective. This is an anchor verse, Matthew 28, when Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Jesus says, once a person is placed their confidence, their faith, their trust in Jesus for salvation, they are to then identify with him in baptism. This is the first step in discipleship making, to be baptized. And baptism isn't, is obedience demonstrating that he is Lord, that we are dead to our old sin, to our old ways, and that we obey him. Reminder, that baptism does not save you. Baptism does not make him Lord. It demonstrates already that he is Lord of your life. John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commands. And what are one of the early commands for us as followers of Christ? To be baptized. And so Jesus commands us to be baptized. And, and you might say, well, you know, that, that's a tough thing. That's a hard thing. I, I don't know about that. You know, that's, that's going to be difficult. You know what? All throughout God's word and in the New Testament, there's a lot of difficult commands, a lot of hard things for us to, to follow, even things that Jesus told us. We're to forgive others who have hurt us. We're to forgive them over and over and over again. That's tough. That's hard. Um, he tells us not to lust. It's difficult. Battle to struggle. Not to judge others. Oh, we like to do that, don't we? He tells us to turn the other cheek. That's not easy to do. Those are hard things. Baptism is just not one of those hard things. But you say, but, but I have a fear of speaking in public. Or I have a fear of water. Or I have a fear of being seen wet. Like my hair getting wet. Not a good thing. I take good care of this mop, you know. And there's no way. Well, two or of, two of three of those can be legitimate reasons. That last one about how you look wet, that, that's just pride. These other ones, fear of speaking in public or fear of water. Listen to this, folks. God never commands you to do something without providing the strength to do it. He'll provide. He will be there. He will be faithful. I've baptized many people who have had an incredible fear of water. They said, is there some other way around this? I said, no, we're going to trust God in this. Get your friends praying. And what a time of victory. To overcome that fear of water, but also to be obedient to the Lord in that way. I can't speak in public um, many 
pastors and many public speakers today will say they had a fear of that too. And yet God helps you to overcome those things. God never commands us to do something without providing the strength, folks. He will give you the strength if you're coming up with the excuses why this shouldn't happen. And so for believers, for followers of Christ, we should be thrilled to first of all obey, to serve our master in this way, our savior, our king, and our Lord. And then once we have been baptized, baptized, every baptism is a celebration of, yes, that person that you are witnessing getting baptized or that you are hearing about, you hear, oh, so-and-so got baptized today. And it should go like, praise the Lord. God's working in their life, but it's also a reminder of what he's done in our life. It's such a beautiful, beautiful example because here are two more things that baptism proclaims. First of all, it displays the gospel. Baptism displays the gospel. And even thirdly, we're going to go right to the third one. It proclaims our identity with Christ and with his family. People will say oftentimes a picture is worth a thousand words, isn't it? Well, baptism is a picture, is a display of the gospel. A beautiful way to see the gospel reenacted. Again, remember, baptism does not save a person. Only faith in Christ saves a person. But baptism is a picture of that new life in Christ. Baptism is a picture of our faith, a symbol of, 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 of that work that has taken place on the inside. It's an object lesson. It's a reminder to you of what's taken place in your life and a reminder of what Christ has done in the life of the person being baptized. It's a reminder that once we were spiritually dead, as we entered the waters of baptism and we went under the water, we were dead. We were spiritually dead. And in the act of obedience and baptism, as we go under the water and we're held there for a few split seconds, it's a reminder that we are dead to our old ways. We are dead to sin. And as we come up out of the water, the water has the cleansing feature. The blood of Christ cleanses us. And so we are cleansed. And as we come up, there's new life, new resurrection life, new power. It's a beautiful picture of that, of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. You can write down this reference. And and, in fact, I encourage you to read the entire um, chapter in in Romans 6. We're going to look just at a couple verses here. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is a picture physically of what has happened spiritually. As we are held under the waters, we go into the waters of baptism and we're under the water, we are dead. And then we are raised to new life in Christ. One is immersed under the water, signifying a surrender, a repentance, saying, I'm done with my old ways. That's not the start. That's not when it begins. That started when you came to Christ, and now you are illustrating what had taken place at a future date, whether that be hours before, like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, or whether that be after a long season of putting off baptism. It's a beautiful picture. You see, baptism is a big deal because it is a picture of the greatest event that has ever, that could ever take place in your life. You say, oh, there's a lot of big events. I could, you know, I could, I could excel at work or I, you know, my marriage day or the day my first child or my you know, um, retirement and, or, or all these things we think are going to be great days. And all. No, your best day is your salvation day because everything changes on the day that you receive Christ as Savior. And baptism is a picture of what took place on that salvation, at that salvation event. Dead, 
now alive. Blind, now you see. Lost, and now you're found in Christ. That is the gospel. And, and baptism is a proclamation of the gospel. And as Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit rests on him. And these words were spoken. What amazing words to have spoken over you. What amazing words for the onlookers to hear. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God identifies Jesus as his son. We see the Trinity beautifully at work here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God is saying, he is mine. And Jesus identifies himself with sinners. Isaiah 53, it says that he was counted among the sinners. Where was he counted among the sinners? As as one in, in the line getting ready to get baptized. He was counted as one of the sinners hanging on the cross, taking upon the sins of the world. And Jesus identified with us in that way. And so our baptism identifies us is also children of God following in obedience. Jesus lived an obedient life. We live an obedient life. Jesus died, and I died with him. It's declaring my identity is in him. Jesus rose from the dead, and I rose from spiritual death. And today, Jesus is with the Father, and one day, I'll be with the Father. Baptism becomes a beautiful identifying mark for our union with Christ and for the millions and millions of followers here on the face of this earth who have followed in obedience in that way, in declaring, I am his and he is mine. Baptism follows faith in Christ. Is Christ your savior? Have you made him the Lord of your life? Have you repented of your sins? You see, after faith in Christ occurs, then there is the biblical pattern and the command we see to be baptized, believing that Jesus is the son of God. Have you done this? Have you believed in, in Christ in this way, believing Jesus is the Son of God, died that substitutionary death that we deserve to die? He rose from the grave, and upon believing that, entrusting my life to him, confessing with a repenting heart like those people were, confessing and repenting and saying, I'm done with sin, and I want to follow God. Now we have someone to follow. We have Christ to follow. We have his example. We have his grace, his mercy to lean on. And with repentive and confessing hearts, we do that initially and we do it continually throughout our lives. Confessing our sins, our wants, our desires and live now for what pleases him. If you believe that with all your heart, you ought to be baptized. And if you believe that with all your heart and you have been baptized, then you should celebrate every time that you think of the word baptism because it's a picture of the gospel, a picture of our identity with Christ. Baptism follows salvation. And when we have repented and believe, we see the common pattern through the New Testament is to be baptized. How about for young children? What happens in this case? Because oftentimes, children at a very young age with their parents, with uh, vacation Bible school or a kids worker in church, young children can give their hearts to Jesus Christ. Should they be baptized right away when that happens? I want to give a few just words of instruction and guidance on that. First of all, parents, don't rush this, but also don't lag. You're like, so what are you saying? Like, say something, tell us, give us some, some, something to go on here. And I just want to say that oftentimes kids growing up in church can give their hearts to Jesus at, at, in a very sincere, it would seem, in a very, at a very young and early age. And I want to just caution and give some encouragement to give time for that confession to bear some fruit in their lives. To be, that confession to be borne out in the way that they're living. 
And so oftentimes we kind of, you know, kind of think and, 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 and say and promote here that, you know, junior high kind of puberty age is, is a good time because changes are taking place physically and also in, in their brains. And, and, and it's also a time where young people will start to grow and show their convictions. Is, is there convictions about following God? Is there a growing relationship that is evident in their lives? Is there sensitivity to the Holy Spirit? Or is it just something cool that their friends are doing and so they want to get baptized? It's an important commitment because we don't want to baptize people who, aren't, who really aren't assured of their faith in Jesus Christ, aren't really showing a lot of spiritual fruit in that way, but we also don't want to lag behind much prayer and discussion. Currently, I'm talking with a family, a young family. I actually have talked with a few families with younger children in this area, and we approach it cautiously and carefully um, in this way, and, and we have some other helpful resources for you in that. But this morning, I wonder as the band comes up and we're going to sing and worship. How's your heart today? Is, is there a heart within you of what we're seeing here? A hunger, a desperation for God, a repenting heart? Or is it a heart that is chasing other things? It, it's fine, but not fine if it's chasing other things and you're willing to admit it. But just, just to remember, it won't satisfy it won't fill the void. A relationship, if you have one with Christ at an earlier date, will be quenched. It will be hindered, our relationship, our closeness to God. We won't experience his power in, in our lives. Or maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ and you're, you're sitting on the fence. You're not sure where you stand. I, I encourage you to seek out the truth in this. We'd love to talk with you, love to meet with you, whether that be Brett, one of the elders, or other leaders in our church. If God is speaking to you about baptism, obey him in that. Obey. Don't run from it. Don't run from it. Let's pray together. God, I pray that here in our midst, even right now, there would be a heart of obedience for those who should follow in the waters of baptism, that they would follow you in that. For those who have been baptized, God, there would be a heart of obedience in their lives to whatever it is that you're speaking about. And that's the cool thing about your spirit. You're always speaking and you're always working. You're desiring more and more day by day to conform us more into the image of Jesus Christ. And sadly, we're getting more conformed into the pattern and the image of this world. And God, today would be a day where I say, no, stop, done. Jesus, I want to surrender my life anew and afresh to you. Like there's people on the banks of the river saying, I'm done with sin. Like the early church when they received Christ and, and, and then were baptized and then witnessed thousands of others getting baptized, they were rejoicing in their salvation. Would we rejoice in our salvation? Would we rejoice that you have saved us and, and now we have the choice and the privilege and the honor to live for you? Would we decide that today? For those who don't know you personally, God, who never trusted you as Lord and Savior, that they would not leave here today until they are rock solid sure that you are their Savior, you are their Lord. And so God, work in our midst today. Would you work by your Spirit, reminding us of your love, your grace, and your mercy, what you've done for us, but also the steps of obedience that you call us to take as your children. Would we be ready to do that? We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.